Today on Hardwired. A glass sea with fire. What does that mean in Bible symbolism? Glass represented permanence to the ancients. So glass, eternal. Fire is representative of something purifying. So in this case, it's righteous judgment. So the glass-like sea of fire represents purifying judgment with eternity stretching beyond. So here comes judgment and past the judgment, a new world is coming. Welcome to Hardwired with Pastor Jeff Wicklire, founder and senior pastor of Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. If you're looking for some words of hope, encouragement, solid biblical truth, and maybe even a laugh or two, well, that's exactly what Pastor Jeff wants to share with you today. We know life can get pretty busy and complicated at times, so we're truly grateful you've chosen to take a break and listen to the program. Now, if you're not able to hang out with us for the entire program, you can always check it out at our website, hardwired.org. In fact, you can find all the programs right there waiting just for you, hardwired.org. But right now, here's Pastor Jeff to tell us more about today's program on Hardwired. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Hardwired. Thank you so much for joining us and making us a part of your very busy day. We're going through the book of Revelation, and I've so loved teaching it, and I know you've loved listening to it because we've gotten so much good feedback. Today, we're going to be looking at something that is just so powerful in this book. I'm calling this Six Angels and Seven Vials of Wrath. You know, the Great Tribulation period is really a future prediction of 21 major judgments that are going to be poured out by God on a Christ-rejecting world in that time period called the Great Tribulation. And today we're going to see how much the angels of God play in this scenario that will unfold very soon in the future. Six angels, and they will pour out seven vials of wrath. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Grab your Bible, grab something to write with, take notes, I can't wait to share part two of the message and let's see what the Bible has to say and what Jesus showed John about six angels and the seven vials of wrath. Let's go. Now chapter 14 begins with John again taken up into heaven. Man, he's going back and forth from earth to heaven to earth to heaven. It's enough to make you dizzy just reading it, right? Where once again, he sees the 144,000 that we first met in chapter seven. 144,000, 12,000 from every tribe, Jewish Billy Grahams, who are going to be covering the earth with the gospel before Christ comes back. And notice it says they have the name of the Father on their foreheads. Let's read it. Revelation 14, verse 1. Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. So here they've got a mark too, but it's not the mark of the beast, it's the mark of the Savior. Now John next observes six angels. I love all the angels in the book of Revelation. There's angels everywhere. I love it, right? So he sees six angels next, and all of them have unique messages of warning and judgment. So these six angels are to be noted. Every one of them has a unique message of warning and judgment to the world that is under such judgment right now. Let's begin by looking at the first three angels and their message. Here's the first angel. This angel's message is a gospel message. The eternal good news, verse six. I saw another angel flying through the sky. When is this happening? 
It's happening in the second half of the tribulation when all hell is breaking loose. And what is his message? Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. So he's carrying good news and a warning. It's not too late to get saved, and it's not too late to look up and worship the true God. Second angel. This angel carries a message for Babylon. Chapter 14, verse 8. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting right behind the preaching angel. Here comes another one. Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Then a third angel followed the first two, shouting, Anyone who worships the beast and his statue or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It's been poured forth full strength into God's cup of wrath. And they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur. Now, this is not Jeff. I'm not making this up. I'm reading the book of Revelation. I know this is hard. It's hard for me. But this is what it says. I want us to hear it, really hear it. This is why we preach the gospel. They will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb, capital L. The smoke of their torment will rise, listen, forever and ever. Greek, it reads this way in the original Greek. Ionis, Ionon. Ionis, Ionon. It means ages of ages, ever and forever, an unbroken age, eternity. When the Greeks wanted to express eternity, they said, Ionis, Ionon. Ages upon ages without end. I only wanted to accentuate that, bring that out, because we're in a day of incredible deception. It's everywhere. Social media is a crazy house. So much false stuff is on that. Listen, be careful where you go on social media. There's false prophets, false teachers, false Christs. It's infested. But I bring this out because there's a teaching out there what happens when somebody lost dies? Do they really go to an eternal hell? There's a lot of people out there. Some of them are called universalists. Universalists teach that no one will perish forever, that the blood of Christ covered everybody, and that includes Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, everybody. They'll say there's no such thing as eternal hell. Then there are those who say, yeah, you'll go to a place of torment, but you don't stay forever. You eventually get out. That's called purgatory, taught by the Catholics. You pay your way out or you wait your way out or some of your loved ones still on earth can pay your way out with indulgences. There's all kinds of teaching out there to take away the stern warning of God that to reject Christ is to step into a Christless Ionis Ionone. So we want to be sure we stay faithful to the word here. This is what it says. I didn't say it. It goes on to say, they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast and his statue, and they accepted the mark of his name. May we preach the gospel with all of our heart and get out there and reach as many as possible, because there's only one escape route, and that's the blood of Christ. 
That's the only escape route. And it's a beautiful escape route. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come unto me. While the coming is good. Amen? Amen. The Holy Spirit thankfully delivers a word of encouragement to those who will belong to the Lord in the great tribulation. Verse 12, this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently. Now I'm reading John. This means when you're in tribulation, you must bear it patiently. Persecution, bear it patiently. Obeying his commands and maintaining your faith in Jesus. Verse 13, I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Can we just lift our hands and say, Lord, when I go, may I go in you. Amen. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. From now on, yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work. We were going to rest one day, everybody, for their good deeds follow them. No, go good don't save you, but they testify to the fact that you have been saved. And if you are involved in good works, they're going to follow you into heaven where there's going to be rewards given. Amen and amen and a double amen. Come on, everybody. Yes. Now next, John's about to witness a great reaping of souls, both to eternal life and to eternal damnation. You know where we're going now? Second chances are running out. Watch this the last three angels and the seven bowls. In the closing verses of chapter 14, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is seen seated on a cloud. Then I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, this symbolism matters. We need to pay attention to it. So he's got a gold crown on his head that speaks of authority, and he's got a sickle in his hand. We already know who it is. It's Christ. All right? So what does the sickle represent? It represents not a good harvest, but one of judgment. Jesus is about to judge. What is about to take place with the appearance of the fourth angel is the answer of the prayers of the martyrs' saints who have asked for vengeance on their persecutors. Now, those that persecuted the saints of God killed them, murdered them, are about to be judged. It's like I preach Sunday. One thing that will measure the fate of a nation is how it treats the godly. I'm telling you. Jesus said, inasmuch you've done it to the least of one of these, my brethren, you did it to me. For bad or for good. Now those that killed God's people are about to get it. And I hate it. I don't want to see anybody go through this, but let's read it. Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, Jesus, swing the sickle for the time of harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud, Jesus swung the sickle over the earth and the entire earth was harvested. Now, this is the fulfillment of Matthew 13, verse 40 where Jesus said, let me quote Jesus. Are you ready? Listen, here he goes. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels 
and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Verse 42, Matthew 13, and the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace. Where will they go? A fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oof. Then the righteous, conversely, will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear better listen and understand. He's telling us, you only go one of two places. You don't come back as anything. There's no reincarnation. You have one shot in this life. And you're going to go to one of two places. There are only two roads, wide road, narrow road, two ways, the Savior or the devil. And when Jesus swings that sickle, he's going to reap the harvest of both. It's judgment time, or it's entering into the joy of your Lord time. But those are the only two. It's the Messiah doing the reaping. He's the one sitting on the cloud. He's no longer the little lamb of God that allowed people to abuse him. Oh, no, no. He's the lion of Judah now. He's the judge of the earth. Before Pastor Jeff comes back to wrap things up for us today, I'd like to share a couple of important things with you. Let me encourage you to take a minute and check out our website, hardwired.org. You'll find today's program along with all of Pastor Jeff's messages. There's a growing list of great things to check out at the site. So hop on over and check it out, hardwired.org. That's hardwired.org. And be sure to tell your friends about the program. We know you're being blessed by it. I'm sure your friends will be as well. We're here to reach as many people for the Lord as we can. So getting the word out will help us on this mission. And that's what this program is all about. And Pastor Jeff's back now for the conclusion of today's program. Now next, here comes the fifth angel. He appears from the heavenly temple, also ready to reap a harvest. Verse 17, after that, another angel came from the temple in heaven, and he also had a sickle. So here comes another harvest. So on the heels of the fifth angel's appearance, so we got the fifth one. Now track with me. We've seen the fifth one. He's got a sickle, and right behind him comes a sixth one. So they're kind of coming out as a duo. The sixth angel, verse 18. Then another angel who had power to destroy with fire came from the altar. He shouted to the fifth angel, with the sharp sickle. Swing that sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. The fire over which the sixth angel has power is the fiery wrath of the end times. The sixth angel with power to destroy with fire tells the fifth angel to thrust in the sharp sickle. Now what are the vines of the earth that they're reaping? It's the false vine. Jesus said in John 15, he was the true vine by which we are saved. But no doubt the vine the angel is addressing here is the false vine of the Antichrist. Those who have followed him are about to be judged. It's the same end time harvest where second chances are gone. Now it's too late. You know, so easy to get swayed and lullabied by a predictable life and schedule. And, you know, it's easy. I think it's, I was thinking about judgment lately because, you know, you do away with judgment in the Bible, you're going to have a little skinny Bible left if you pull out everything about judgment in it. It's just a little skinny Bible left. 
Thank God for mercy. Thank God for grace. But judgment's a part of the history of man. And I was thinking about it, how judgment snuck up on those of Noah's day. It says, marrying, giving in marriage, buying, selling, doing business, making business deals, having kids, having picnics. What made me think about this was the 4th of July. Because I went out my backyard and I could see way off in the distance some fireworks. I didn't want to fight the traffic this year. But I was watching in a distance and I'm looking at America, celebrating, woohoo. You know, a lot of them don't even know what they're celebrating. Have no idea, don't care. They just want to get drunk or high or whatever. It's just a day off work. But I was thinking, that was the attitude of those in Noah's day. Woohoo! Isn't life great? Kids, grandkids, good business, money. And Jesus said they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. Solomon Gomorrah, everybody got up, made their daily coffee, said hello to the kids, sent them off to school, gave the dog a little pat on the head on the way out, headed off to work. Well, actually, the sun was just rising. Most of them were just waking up. And, and there was all kinds of warning signs. If you had been alert, do you remember when Sodom was taken over by foreign kings and Abraham went and interceded and defeated them and brought all the Sodomites back home and said hello to the king and the king offered him money? And he said, I don't want your money. And there was the greatest man of God on the planet talking to them influencing them, taking a stand for God. I don't want your money. That should have spoken volumes to the king of Sodom. I don't want your stuff. I'm not about that. I want the smile of God because he said, lest you say I made Abraham rich because the one who blesses me is God. Right? Now, track with me. So they had this incredible witness standing right in front of them and didn't sway them. Noah, they had Noah preaching for 120 years and it didn't move them. So I was thinking of judgment, how it creeps up. But when it comes, my friend, it comes. And here it is coming. When the fifth angel thrust in his sickle, the Lord Jesus will tread the winepress of divine wrath. The prophet Joel predicted this as well. Joel 3, verse 12, let all the nations be called arms. Let them march to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I, the Lord, will sit to pronounce judgment on them all. Swing the sickle, familiar language there. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come tread the grapes, for the wine press is full. The storage vats are overflowing with the wickedness of these people. Thousands upon thousands are waiting in the valley of decision. There the day of the Lord will soon arrive. The Valley of Decision Joel mentions is none other than the Valley of Armageddon, where the mother of all wars is going to take place. Keep in mind that this picture of treading the grapes, when he says tread the grapes, it's an Old Testament symbolism. Grapes in the wine press were crushed by the feet of the workers. So it's telling us God will tread down and crush his enemies like grapes. John is next given a brief preview of the War of Armageddon, and this is hard to read that we will look at much more closely in chapter 19, but we got a little, just a little taste of the War of Armageddon here. Verse 19, Revelations 14. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth. Here we go. Loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath for them to be trampled. 
Verse 20, the grapes were trampled in the winepress outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress in a stream, catch this, about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. You know how far 180 miles is? How far is Austin from here? Three hours? So from here to Austin, blood as high as a horse's bridle. It's going to be the war of all wars, war of Armageddon. I stood there at the Valley of Megiddo when I went to Israel. I stood at the Valley of Megiddo. You know, Napoleon stood at the Valley of Megiddo. It's this lush plain right now. It's this beautiful valley filled with all kinds of beautiful foliage and fruit, and it looks incredible. But Napoleon stood there, and he said, the armies of the world could fight here, not knowing he was prophesying, because they will. So horrific will the carnage be, the blood will flow like a river, like a river. How high is a horse's bridle? Four and a half feet or so? For almost 200 miles. Now, I'll give you this. It could be intentional exaggeration to relay the horrific amount of bloodshed during this terrible war. However, nothing tells us it's symbolism. It's literal because it gives us measurements. As we begin chapter 15, we see that John is once again transported from this horrific scene, no kidding, to one of splendor. I think God was constantly giving him a break from these incredible things he's seen. It's like, Lord, can I see something uplifting? So God says, all right, all right, let's go back up to heaven. He's transported into heaven, and he sees splendor and beauty. He witnesses a great sign, and we're coming to the close for tonight, because I know I've given you a whole lot. But he witnesses a great sign and a beautiful sea of glass. Revelations 15, verse 1, I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels, here's more angels, were holding the last seven plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. So now we've come to the final seven judgments of God. Fourteen have fallen. There's seven to go to make 21 in all. The word wrath John uses here is the Greek word thumos, and it means hot fury. That's what it means. The apostle begins with a stunning scene. I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire. Picture it. We're out there, let's say there's no waves in the ocean. It's just placid like a pond that doesn't have a ripple. And there's fire coming up out of it. But it looks gorgeous. A glass sea with fire. What does that mean in Bible symbolism? Glass represented permanence to the ancients. So glass, eternal. Fire is representative of something purifying. So in this case, it's righteous judgment. So the glass-like sea of fire represents purifying judgment with eternity stretching beyond. So here comes judgment, and past the judgment, a new world is coming. John continues, and on it, on the glass-like sea, stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the mark of the beast, the number representing his name. So standing on this sea are all these people Tribulation saints, martyred, now they're in eternity. And they refuse to worship uh, the devil or the Antichrist. They refuse the mark. And John records something very moving in verse 2, the second half of the verse. They were all holding harps that God had given them. 
And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Moses and the Lamb both represent deliverance and salvation. And they sang. Can we read this together, everybody? There it is up there. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nation. Verse 4, who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. Do you realize just now you quoted what you're going to be singing one day? Amen. Thanks for listening today to Hardwired with Pastor Jeff Wickwire. To get a copy of today's message, give us a call at 877-884-3111. Or you can pick it up at our website, hardwired.org. That's 877-884-3111 or the website, hardwired.org. While you're there at the website, you'll find today's message along with all the messages from Pastor Jeff. We know they've been an encouragement to you, so be sure to forward them on to a friend who you think needs to hear today's message or any of the messages there at the website. It might be the very thing they need to be encouraged as well. Again, the website is hardwired.org or call us at 877-884-3111. If you haven't been to the website lately, jump on over there and take a look at all we have for you. One last thing, Your partnership with this program through your generous giving is always needed and very appreciated. We know Hardwired is making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. Please take a minute to send your best gift through our website, hardwired.org, or by calling 877-884-3111. Thanks so much for your heart of generosity. We truly do appreciate it. Be sure to join us next time right here on Hardwired.